Welcome to the VIP Jazzwell Report, where we ask insightful questions and get revealing answers. I'm VIP Jazzwell. Well, folks, this summer so far definitely seems to be an interesting one from a news perspective. We've got politicians standing for election despite being exposed for sexual misconduct. We've had the Zimmerman and Trayvon case, which seems to have taken on a whole new direction of its own. We've seen Paula Dean punished for her use of inappropriate and insulting use of racial terminology. And recently, the use of chapels for non-religious purposes has been called into question. It seems the summer of 2013 is turning out to be a dilemma that questions our own ethics and morals. While we can rely on our judgment to look for answers if there are any, I thought it might be a good idea to get a spiritual perspective on these current issues that in some way affect us all because these outcomes will determine the way of life that we leave for our children. You know, we show care for the future of our environment by going green, but are we showing an equal amount of care in the values of our society going forward as well? Our guest is Pastor Dean Curry, who's the lead pastor at Life Center Church in Tacoma, Washington. He shepherds one of the largest multi-generational congregations in the state. So welcome to the show, Pastor Dean. Thank you, Vip. It's great to be with you again. Well, thank you for coming back. And I'm going to be looking to you for some moral ethic and even a spiritual perspective to help guide our opinions and decisions. There's no separation of church and state on this show. <laughs> That's great. I'm, I'm just thrilled to be with you and, and all, the, all of your uh, listeners. Thank you so much. Um, let's start with the politicians. Anthony Weiner, he was caught for his uh, sexually explicit texts and photos. And, you know, he was forgiven at first, but when he joined the mayoral race. And he was actually leading the way, which I was I found quite surprising. And then he got caught again for doing the very same thing. You know, I was looking at his photos and all I could see was Satan and Satan's little helper, if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> but, you know... Um, but ironically, Wiener refuses to pull out of the race anyway. So I don't think he suffers from insanity. I think he actually enjoys it. Same with Elliot Spitzer. This guy was caught with a hooker, and now he's running for comptroller of NYC, which is a position that requires the highest level of integrity. And then we have Bob Filner. He's been accused of sexual harassment, but now wants the taxpayer to pay his legal bills. Here's my issue. The very fact that these guys have their indiscretions exposed, um, they, they still seem to want to operate in the public domain. What does it say about us, the public? Well, I think that one of the first things it says is that the, the Judeo-Christian ethic mm -hmm. of forgiveness and grace is alive and well. At some level, the American public are willing to say that none of us are perfect and that as Jesus said all those years ago, uh, the idea of casting the first stone, using that metaphor that he used, right. is something that we're pretty reluctant to do. And I think, by and large, that's a good thing that we that we have a we have a grace about our culture. I don't know what it says about the people that continue on in the behaviors and in in want, in their ambitions. But I think it reflects well on the American public that we're willing to give people a second chance. This is a, a culture that, at least at some level, believes in the second chance. I admire that very much so. But in Wiener's case, what happens there? Because he's had the first chance. Now, he's refusing to withdraw from the race. Right. Um, 
and okay his his ratings have uh dropped mm-hmm. which is about 20% that means there's one in five people who still believe in him now yeah. this guy has really no record of achievement or you know to date leaders what, what's going on there he has, a, he has a legislative record that i think the people of his area could pass judgment on but i mean he hasn't been in a leadership position where he's uh in a managerial or a sense so you know i, I don't well, he's know he's no bill it, clinton well you mean in the sense that he was a leader yeah yeah i think it's a constant balancing act between character and competence uh the let's let's play the extreme out vip okay. we're going to talk about ethics and morals in the extreme would we like everyone to be judged on their worst moment as a as a follower of jesus of nazareth i would say he was the leader in this idea of saying none of us can afford to be judged on our worst moment we want grace extended to us so we want to individually and as a culture extend grace to people who've made mistakes we want to judge them not just on a low moment in their character but on their competence on their contribution what can they do and can they redeem themselves and i think that's a good thing and i i think now it's on the bill clintons on the uh, anthony weiners on the mayor to say now what are you going to do with our grace and can you make a great life there was a story about this one british politician decades ago that was uh, caught in a scandal with a russian spy and all of that and then he commits his life to working with the poor right. and redeems it so we love those kind of stories and i hope that this mayoral candidate that elliot spitzer i think i hope that they use our goodwill in order to redeem themselves and make a contribution because i think that's noble if if we're saying that we don't want people who've made mistakes to re-enter the public arena then we're not really giving them the opportunity to to make a contribution where they've made a withdrawal well using our goodwill is one thing abusing our goodwill is totally another no question but isn't that that's a discernment what we, what would we we would call in the spiritual world that's a discernment issue at what point are they process what's the difference between processing and working through a problem mm-hmm. and and abusing our goodwill that's that's a call that's i think that's why it's so important to the to the public how his wife is responding because if she says this is a good man i believe in him then we tend to go okay if she's with him we are too because those are the people that know him the best but when the wife bails out at some level when Elliot Spitzer's wife stands by her man and says I'm going to stay in this marriage I believe this is a good man and he obviously I mean Spitzer had a great record as a prosecutor I I don't think anybody complained that he was a poor governor but we found out he had feet of clay and he he was welcomed back into the media arena he was a commentator and a, he opined on all kinds of issues now he wants to step back into the public arena and he's he's testing the waters i think i think maybe that's a good thing well i don't have an issue with spitzer as much as i do with weena because um getting caught twice for doing the same thing troubles me 
I can, I'm convinced by your argument for in Spitzer's case. I'm not totally convinced with the Wiener thing because I think if it was a another mistake of a different category, then that, that's the first mistake principle, you know, extending the goodwill and, and all that's fine. Second time round, same mistake. Um, and, you know, I, I think in the last show that we did together, right. you mentioned something about that sometimes sexuality plays too important a role yeah. uh, in our life. I believe that, yeah. Well, let's, ask, let, let's, let's see if this is about sexuality. So let me retell the story. Anthony Weiner, let's suppose, is caught dr- uh, with public intoxication. Mm-hmm. And then there's another photo taken of him at a party with a beer in his hand, and the stories are told that he has a problem. Do we say, no more, you're not competent enough, or do we say, let's get this guy some help? I think when sexuality isn't involved, we're a lot more open to grace and to the idea of letting people heal. This is a guy who, you know, with all his ambition and with all of his talent, he needs healing. He needs people to walk alongside him and say, life is more than sex, bro. You're not going to solve your anxiety issues, your stress issues, your validation issues with filling it with a sexual experience or another drink or more power. You're going to have to be able to look the guy in the mirror and be real with him and you know, I hope his family and friends, and I don't know if he's a spiritual person, but I hope that, that if he is, that the people that are his uh, spiritual guides are walking alongside with him and saying, man, even if you get this job, you're going to have to deal with the root issues that cause these kind of behaviors, whether it's alcohol or sexual. Well, okay, let's, let's move the sexuality aspect. Let's, let's stick to the, the concept of the, the, the drinking. Let's say he okay. was caught drink driving first time round. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that was bad enough. He was exposed. Um, he apologized. Okay, you would think he wouldn't do it again. Now, if he's caught second time round drink driving, I don't want him representing me or taking my vote. Right. I just don't because think- if you need healing and you need help in any category, um, that's not the sort of leader I want representing my interests. I'm well, sure, it, I mean, you know, there are 300 million people in America. Uh-huh. And 20 million of them are alcoholics. Right. So that leaves so, me with 280 that I can choose from. <laughs> <laughs> so you like your odds that in 280, there's got to be somebody that doesn't have a problem. You know, you got, or, or they haven't exposed their problem. Ignorance uh, is bliss sometimes. Yeah. Every, everyone's got a problem. I, I, totally, I totally get that. Right. But uh, to be caught but, twice but, for but, the same thing. But um, do, we, do we get it, though, Vip? Because I think we, we're a funny culture in the way we are awfully quick to judge, and then we're just as quick to forgive. I don't know if it's because we know we have our own weaknesses, but the Jewish wisdom books say this. They say the heart of man is wicked. Who could know it? What it's implying is we don't even know what's going on in our own heart. And we want to cast judgment on people. I, I probably, I'm the kind of person that says, because grace has been extended to me, if I'm going to error, I want to err on the side of forgiveness. 
if you don't want to vote for this guy because he has a drinking problem or because he's made a mistake in his marriage, I totally get that. That's up to you. But I, I think that people can have strong character and make mistakes. I don't want to be defined by my worst moment. I think it reflects poorly on, quote-unquote, the Christian world when we aren't, and the followers of Jesus particularly, are known around the world as being judgmental and backstabbing, and then come to find out we're human and we need forgiveness just as much as the next person. I think it's great and preferable to be taken advantage every once in a while by somebody who's still struggling with their problem than to than to to cast aside everybody who makes a mistake. Because I would make the case, Vip, and I, I know this is, maybe this is a stretch, but I would make the case that you can't, you can't say it's too bad that all of these soldiers are committing suicide when they come back from war because they can't live with the, the mistakes they've made and the things they've seen. It's too bad that man committed suicide when he lost all his money. It's too bad that woman committed suicide after she was caught in that affair. We can't say it's too bad that they're ending their life and then judge them for every mistake. I want people to get up every time they fall down. And because I don't I don't want them taking their own life because they think one mistake is is the end. I want them to get up and live again. But how many mistakes would it take of the same nature for you to say, well, enough is enough? I think that's different for everybody. If I perceive that someone has a sickness like alcoholism, Mm -hmm. if I perceive that someone has a a problem, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, pictures over the cell phone. This is a fairly new phenomenon, and I don't know that we totally understand why people do that. This kind of com- what I would consider compulsive behavior, right. I would err more on a therapeutic answer instead of a judgmental answer. Personally, personally, I would say, let's get this guy some help. And if he's competent, if we really believe he's competent, then let's give him an opportunity. Do we think that Tiger Woods should be in golf tournaments, even though we've, he's shown that he has compulsive behaviors that even he, I don't think, understands. I think we say, well, the guy's got to make a living, and he's extremely competent at golf. Uh, obviously, no, there, there isn't a character component, at least um, uh, required in the, on the PGA Tour, but aren't we kind of glad that he that he gets back in the game and he tries to redeem himself and we're we're happy that he's in therapy and we're happy that he's good at something and we celebrate when he wins again. We don't want him to fail. We don't want him to commit suicide. We don't want him to think it's not redeemable. If he were my son, if he were my son, what would I say to him? I would say, "Wow, I'm I'm hurt that you did this, but son, come on. It's a long life." Get well, back out there. You know, the, 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 I value what you're saying. I, th- I think with, with using your example, Tiger Woods, I would define for myself as entertainment because it is a sport. No matter how seriously I would take it, it it's still entertainment. But with leaders of our society, they help define the way going forward. And I did mention, you know, early in the show that we spend so much time going green for our environment, we take care of our environment. Yeah. What about taking care of our values? Because 
tomorrow is another step forward to what we leave behind for our kids to handle. Right. And if I were Tiger Woods' counselor, I would say, come on, you're one of the greatest role model, potential role models in our culture. Let's, let's be global for a second, Fip. If I said Anthony Weiner in New Delhi, India, people would go, who? If I said Tiger Woods, they'd all know who I'm talking about. And uh, I don't know if you remember the basketball player Charles Barkley became famous because he said, I'm not a role model. And everybody goes, what? An athlete? He might be an entertainer at one level, but at the deepest level, to the young people in our world, these guys owe an obligation to be working on the inside. Are they perfect? I don't think it's realistic or healthy to pretend they're perfect. But as a spiritual leader, I want to say to these guys, man, get back on the horse. Redeem what what might have been squandered before. I think, I think it's important. I think it's valuable. I think redemption is as important a concept in our culture as retribution. I think punishment matters, and I'll, I'll let the public decide what the appropriate punishment for these guys is. If you want them to be the mayor, I'm not going to vote in that race, but right. punishment matters. But so does grace. You know, my, my punishment to um, Wiener would be, well, first of all, pull out, seek redemption, um, and seek reflection. Yeah. But at the end of the day, leading my society, no matter how small it is, and, and you know, forget the global perspective. Uh, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, from a global perspective, it's, it's minuscule. Uh, it's almost like bacteria. It's so small. But um, for my immediate sense of being and, and my immediate right. environment, um, all these things add up because they then okay. become a reflection to the rest of America that if it's no okay question. for this guy, it's okay no for him because, you know, it's like a set of, pre- it's a precedent. Right. Um, okay, but can we, ethically now, can we say that something's not okay and still say that we love a person? I think as a culture, we struggle with that. And all I'm saying. No, I don't is, think so. I don't think so at all. I think ethically we can say, look, pull out of the race, go seek help. It's not like we're asking him to go to prison. Right. Oh, um, I, and but, if I were his friend, mm-hmm. I would say, Anthony, game over, bro. It's a long life. You'll get another opportunity, but this isn't the moment. Exactly. I would, uh, no question, that would be my private counsel to him. Since he's not apparently either getting that counsel or heeding that counsel, I would say, well, now you're going you're gonna to ask us to weigh in on that. Yeah, because I believe his wife has also taken leave from her job recently as well. I think it came out a day or two ago that she's going to take some sort of leave of absence. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a family crisis first. Yeah. And I think that's probably wisdom on her part. I, I, I don't know what drives this man. It's just conjecture. Is, is his ambition stronger than his common sense perhaps perhaps i think that a lot a lot of you know when we find out about some of these great leaders in history you look at a martin luther king jr who apparently in his private life for whatever reason had some compromise and of course all of the presidents and other people that we find out have compromise in their life and and we say wow what drove them was 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 Dr. King and what he did invalidated by his by his uh, 
the fact that his character was still in process. Not really. Right. Not really. Uh, we we found out that apparently cultures can be changed by real flesh and blood human beings. And none of us want to be defined by our worst moment. And we don't define Dr. King by his worst moment. Well, I think it's very I, flattering uh, for Wiener to be compared to uh, Martin Luther King. Yes, that is a stretch, isn't it? <laughs> but, but uh, you know, let's talk about uh, the next big thing that's been happening, Zimmerman and Trayvon. Now, this has been, you know, a, a very tragic case. Um, but after the court's decision, it, it seems to have taken a whole new direction, and, and that too under the racism banner. Now, I'm relatively new to America, so what am I missing here? Because the way I see it, one party is black, the other is Hispanic, the jury is white. So where is the question of, of race in all of this? In fact, if you look at it from a bird's eye point of view, um, it represents all the races of America to a large extent. America is unusual, isn't it, in that we have this melting pot uh, premise where where you come from here and you come from there, but we all become Americans. Well, it's a melting pot. It's become a meltdown. <laughs> at, at times, we have these defining moments, and it's hard to know which moments are going to become defining moments. I'm not sure if it has to do with the fact that because we have... Uh, the leader of the free world is an African-American, mm-hmm. or if it's because you know, the media decided to make it prominent. But I do think that when these things come to the surface, it's an opportunity for each of us at some level to say, is bias a part of our life? How much does it control us in unseen ways? Because most of the time, we don't see prejudice in ourselves. We see it in other people. So when we see a Hispanic man, we say, is it possible for someone who is a minority to be biased or prejudiced? Well, of course. I spent three months in Mexico City as an exchange student at one point in my life. And they have an Indian culture uh, that, that run in Mexico that runs alongside the Mexican culture. Mm-hmm. And what was fascinating to me was to watch the Mexicans that I was living with be prejudiced and biased against the Indians who were who were their staff and their um, uh, working class, uh, even manual labor in that culture. So I thought, wow, that was really, I was 16 years old at the time. That was my first introduction to the idea that you can be a minority and be someone who harbors bitterness. It's powerful. This This prejudice idea is so subtle, so powerful. But it, it seems that when I was looking at this whole eruption um, of emotions, do you, think, do you think as a society America is still a very angry one? I mean, are we looking, are we so frustrated that we look for any opportunity to create an issue that sometimes even doesn't necessarily exist? You know, I, ha- I, I have full respect for the right to question the judicial judgment. But to make it something else, this seems very, um, well, to me, very bizarre. I do think it's anger. I think it's. I think there's a sense coming out of this economic downturn mm-hmm. that the systems are tainted against minorities. I don't know if it's real or not. I'm. It's that. That's a, such a subjective, um, you know, assessment. But 
I think there are a lot of minorities that feel like the system in this downturn has been weighted against minorities in all kinds of ways. When you look at arrest percentages, who's get, who's getting put in jail? Is it something like 70% of African males will do some kind of jail time by the time they're 21? It's incredible, the percentages. And so I think some of them have a sense and you know, you can find some numbers to support it, that they are disproportionately picked out. Let's say, uh, as as someone once proposed, let's say you're walking and your car breaks down and you have to walk in the middle of the night in downtown Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it matter to you that the people walking towards you are white or black? I think a lot of people would say they would feel better if they were white, these people walking towards me in downtown Chicago are white. That's that reveals an inner prejudice, I think. Now, because we're talking about spirituality, I would propose this idea: your car breaks down in downtown Chicago, and you have to walk. And some people are coming towards you, and you know that they just came from a Bible study. Does that make you feel better? Yeah. Yeah. Spirituality helps us process things like prejudice, color issues. So when America reattaches to its spiritual core, I think we'll do better with the anger issues, with the prejudice issues, because if there's one thing that teaches us that we're, we're all equal, it's our spiritual core, that God created all of us. Skin color is different, but from the inside, we're the same. Well, taking the racial thing forward, Paula Dean, she used yeah. the N-word. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I, I agree, totally agree. It's not acceptable under any circumstance, and, and it's probably one of the most offensive words in the English language. Truly. Um, but here again, you know, I think society needs to point fingers at themselves when we punish those who do wrong. And here's my example. Um, Jay-Z, had a con- the, the rapper, had a conversation with Oprah. And he defended the use of the N-word by saying that it is people who give words power and that he's taken the power out of the N-word, uh, which I found quite bizarre. So because he uses it for his financial and artistic advantage, it, it, it's in his lyrics. Um, actually, then by doing that, he's actually given the N-word more power. He then went on to state that um, he's turned the N-word from being ugly and hurtful into a term of endearment. Um, so then I thought, well, um, would Paula Dean and the others who, if they claim to use it as a term of endearment, would their consequences have uh, been been different? You know, the problem I have with two-faced people is I never know which side to slap first. <laughs> because for me, doing wrong is wrong for all, not just wrong right. for some. You know, that yeah. that's discrimination. Yeah. I think our culture is lost in appreciation for the power of words. You know, this idea, it's, it's, it's from Scripture, it says the power of life and death is in the tongue. It's in the tongue. It's in what we say. Yeah, words mean uh, something. They mean more than we know, Vip. More than we know. Uh, and so at every level, when you hear people talk about, did you have a good childhood? And someone stands up and says, my dad said I was an idiot. Everybody gasps. 
Uh, my dad said I'd never. I had a teacher that said I would never amount to anything, and everybody says, "What a shame!" And then we decide to be selective about slurs. But you Today, know something? I, I do find that that's a very common response about uh, us in society, um, blaming our childhood or our upbringing, being extremely sensitive. Uh, no one seems to have had a good upbringing. Yeah, we live in a therapeutic culture where we we want to uh, try to explain our current behavior by our past circumstances. Everyone's it, been stupid during their childhood, and they've been told that they've been stupid. Exactly. I have been as well, uh, but so far I don't have a criminal record. Uh, <laughs> nor, nor do I, by the way. And, and, and um, you know, I seem to be okay. My yeah. wife doesn't think so, but everyone else does, so. I, we can work on that after the show. I'll help you out. But, uh, the, I think the core idea that I'm driving at here is that we understand the power of words in some context, and then we disregard it in others. Jay-Z tries to rationalize it away, and then today I see a football player who plays for the Philadelphia Eagles. Right. is videotaped using the N-word, and all of the NFL is in an uproar. Tweets and Facebook posts, some forgiving him some judging him, some calling him a racist, some saying it's the alcohol that he had consumed. But I think if we had a general appreciation for the power of a blessing and the power of a curse, it would change the way we parent. It would change our music industry in that we wouldn't have African Americans lowering the standard, using slurs about their that are used against them in other contexts. I just think it would, I think it would make us a better, a more civil culture. I, I'm, I'm for civility. I think that it reflects well on our faith. I understand that people like Jay Z wear crosses around their neck, and I would say, how do you represent that cross? That cross is a symbol of Jesus of Nazareth, who was called the Prince of Peace, who said, Jesus said that how can a blessing and a cursing come from the same uh, mouth i mean how can that how can that be we we need to be we need to be better in this regard and and i i don't mind saying that i i need to do better in in my words and i think if we all elevate the discourse uh, i think our culture would be richer for it you know having come to this country and I love, I love, I really sincerely love this country. Um, but you see things from a different perspective because you're relatively new. And when, when I heard this N-word dilemma, it was like, it seems to be, am I, is it just me or is everyone around me schizophrenic? Because you got Paula Dean saying it and, and rightfully, uh, you know, being reprimanded. And these hip-hop guys make money from it. It, it's just uh, another, think, another I, case I think, where it's bizarre, and and I, I forget them. It, they, you know, there are few people. It's the, the majority of the millions of people in America that seem to be buying into this stuff. You know, reprimand that. It's like um, if your one child drops the cookie jar, uh, it's okay, and when the other one drops it, it's it's not okay. And then we, we I, and then we complain you, about discrimination. I, I think your assessment about the hypocrisy in this is mm -hmm. is right on. But uh, don't you think, as a as a public, we feel powerless 
to change the hip hop culture. What what are we going to do about the bias culture in in the South and how Paula Dean reflects that? Is it possible that Paula Dean has a bias or a prejudice? I, I not only do I think it's possible, I think it's probable. Is the fact that she apologized and wants to redeem herself mean something? To me, it does. I think her redemption was, to a certain extent, sincere. I think it came across as a clumsy act, but in terms of us as a society, I think we need to get a grip. And how can we stop it? Well, hip-hop is, as much as it is a culture, it's, it's also a business. Um, if we stop buying their music, they will stop saying it. Yes. Uh, I, I think that the people that are buying it are 15 years old, 14 mm-hmm. years old. And I don't think people in that generation are generally known for their logic or common sense. Do you? And that's why they have parents, and the parents should be imposing it. Yes, no question. And therefore, we're back to the the falling apart of the American family and how that, that precedes all kinds of cultural decay. All kinds of cultural decay. When we see, when I see congressmen and senators get up and say, we need to teach our kids. I say to myself, I wonder how many of those guys have uh, broken up their families. I wonder how many of them spend lots of nights away from home. I mean, we if we take care of our own families, if we raise our kids, if we discipline our kids instead of coddling them and spoiling them, I think then we have a voice to guide them and say, you know what? I'm glad that you like music, but we're not buying that music. Right. I think that 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 thing is lost because the family's broken up, and Dad's got him one weekend, and Mom's got him another weekend, and one of the some of the collateral damage in our culture, uh, at the risk of sounding like an old fogey, comes from the basic breakdown of the family. Well, they need to go to church more often or a house of worship more often. Anyway. <laughs> well, I'm all for that. Well, I think I think cultures change from the inside out, Vip. I think we want to say we can vote the right people in and it'll change because they'll legislate the right ideas. I don't think cultures move on legislation. I think they move on the transformation of the human heart, and I think that happens when you connect to something more transcendent than the current uh, front page of the New York Times or what happens to be on MTV at any given moment. There are things going on here that are bigger than um, than what Jay-Z has to say, and we need our 15-year-olds to hear that. Where are they going to hear that? Where on earth are they going to hear that unless you get your kids out of a few soccer games on Sunday and into a place where they're talking about what matters? Well, they're not going to get it from Jay-Z. They're definitely not going to get it from Wiener. Um, let's see. But taking discrimination one step further, this one's going to be an interesting one. Okay. The U.S. Naval Academy has been accused of discrimination and being unconstitutional because a recent atheist graduate was denied the request of holding his atheist wedding at the Academy's chapel. Now, the Academy responded saying that the chapel is only to be used for Christian ceremonies. And then the American Humanist Association got involved and asked that the decision be reversed. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but a chapel is a religious place of worship, 
and a humanist is not a believer in God. So for me, it begs the obvious question, why would someone who doesn't necessarily believe in God want to marry in the house of God? Mm-hmm. You know, um... I think I think not every uh, I think that if if you're an atheist and you believe if you if you don't believe in Santa Claus does that mean that you don't want to use a venue where you have Christmas parties I think most people who aren't people of faith think it's all poppycock and therefore a chapel doesn't isn't a place of worship it's a venue and I may as well use that venue as much as anybody. Don't you think that's the perspective they're probably coming from? You know, if I took the cross from Jay-Z's necklace mm-hmm. um, and asked them to wear it or asked them to, you know what, give, give it to them as a gift, uh, I'm not sure they'd accept it. They'd say, you know what, you know I'm an atheist. Why are you giving me a cross? So well, oh, it's just an item of jewelry. It's two lines drawn at right angles, right? That happen to be crosses. He goes, no, because it represents religion. So, us being tolerant one way it won't be tolerant for them the other way. That's what I have a problem with. Yeah. When you know that this is a sensitive issue, and it it, it involves respect and regard for someone else's belief. Right. Um, you know, in the same way, I wouldn't go into a mall and then jump into the ladies' restroom, and then when I come out, and then I get women screaming all over the place and say, well, yes, I can, because it's unconstitutional if I can't. I see what you're saying, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, uh, I think It seems the, like a publicity stunt to me. Yeah, well, I, I, I wouldn't Find another that. venue. I wouldn't doubt that. I, here's one interesting thing, and I mean, obviously, I come from a place um, of faith, and uh, what I've observed about our culture is that we want to pretend that the agnostic or atheistic movement in America is just about the fact of let me be free not to worship. But in reality, uh, it seems like there's a more militant agenda connected to atheism and agnosticism in the 21st century, where it's not enough that you don't believe. It's that you have to make it a farce that I do. You have to you have to make it seem like this is this is all stupid and that faith doesn't matter. So we're back to atheism being or uh, faith being uh, the opiate of the masses, as they used to talk about in uh, communism. Mm-hmm. Uh, faith matters, and and it, there is an aggressive agenda to undermine faith in America. It's not, and it's not just that you don't want to worship; you don't want me to worship either. It was something interesting happened in our town that I thought if it were reversed, it would be on the front page of every paper. There was a church that wanted to raise some money to put a new roof on. This is in our little town of Tacoma, Washington. And so they uh, contacted a restaurant that did allowed fundraisers in their restaurant for all kinds of groups, and 10% of whatever people bought would go to this uh institution and then the institution tries to fill the restaurant obviously so they can have a higher take so this church does this to put a new roof on and then uh, a gay rights group decides to make it difficult for that to happen because this church has uh, spoken out against gay marriage and 
the they force the restaurant to withdraw the offer so the church can't meet there and have their fundraiser. Now, if it had been reversed, if it were a gay group meeting to raise money for one of their agendas, mm-hmm. and a church started protesting a restaurant, what do you think would happen, Vip? I could tell you, in my opinion, it would raise holy hell that a church would be that opposed, that their agenda would be to stop other people. But we become comfortable in this culture with minorities oppressing, Mm -hmm. and we somehow feel that because they've been oppressed, that it's okay for them to oppress. I think the more we can be level, it's not okay for an atheist to make life difficult for a person of faith any more than it is for a person of faith to make life difficult for an atheist. It's not okay. I think that's a perfect answer. Yeah, it's not okay for It's a really as simple as that. I mean, yeah. there's really nothing to debate except you just got to have mutual respect. Correct. But then to and take it out... Come, go ahead. It, I was going to say, if we come at this with more humility, I think the religious community, what, what mistake have we made? We came so haughty, so proud, so we're right, you're wrong, instead of with humility saying, we, we have conviction, and we're, we... We don't apologize for trying to persuade people to our point of view, but we can't persecute people who don't share it. And then I would like the gay community and the atheistic community to do the same. Let's come with humility. Let's agree to disagree. Let's try to persuade each other to our points of view. That's what America's about, freedom of religion, freedom of thought. And let's enter the discourse, the public arena, and talk stuff through instead of, you know, Try to squeeze each other and force each other into um, in in these adversarial ways. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the gay community because the Pope stated that very recently. I think it was this week, a few days ago, um, that he won't judge religious gays. Uh, that he's no one to judge, and but there was to be no change in church policy. Mm. Very diplomatic. I think that was. I think a lot of what a lot was made of that moment. I was delighted with what he said. Uh, it really is a change in tone and not a change in teaching. And what I mean by that, Fip, is that the teachings of Jesus are very gracious towards he, we, the Scripture calls them sinners, people who make mistakes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't condone behavior, but it calls people to a higher level of living, and then it says, you know, uh, that, that we're gracious to people when they don't. So the woman caught in adultery, the famous story about a woman being dragged in front of Jesus, and she literally was caught in the act. And he says, any of you who would like to cast the first stone, go for it. Um, and, of course, no one can, because they're not without sin. And then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, in that sentence, there's so much power. He still called it sin. Right. It still was the wrong thing. But he withholds judgment until another day, until she faces eternity. And that's what the Pope was saying. I thought it was brilliant, a masterful explanation of the doctrine of grace, that he is not going to stand in judgment but neither is he going to call that behavior appropriate because the Scripture calls it inappropriate. Well, he so, did it in a beautiful way. Yes. 
And hasn't this man really proven to be a, a man of grace, his love for the poor, and his uh, really nuanced, finesse explanation of doctrine, which I think, by and large, people of faith have given up on nuance, and I don't think it's helped us. It's, I haven't seen those qualities in a leader for a very long time. Uh, nor have I. I was just, I'm just delighted with this man and his leadership, and I hope that um, he's in that position for a long, long time, because we need more people in those leadership positions who can be living examples of love for the poor, action for the poor, love for the sinner, and, and without compromising the idea that it is a sin. It's, a, it's an inspiration to me as a spiritual leader. Well, talking about inspiration, you deliver sermons every week. I do indeed. So where do you get your inspiration? You know, it really does, uh, without sounding like a cliche, it starts with the heart. I kind of, you know, like we've been talking about today, I'll look at what's going on in our culture, I'll look at the newspaper, I'll listen to the TV, and then I'll just kind of get in a quiet place and and uh, just kind of seek what, what I think uh, God is um, wanting to say through me and to our to our culture. Well, I'm this always weekend. looking. Well, I'm always looking for salvation. So, what's in your sermon this week? <laughs> this weekend, we're we're going to be talking about honor. How and how ironic is that? I know it. I know it. it's right on target. I think. And uh, we live in a scoffing, mocking culture. And I no. Think, <laughs> yes, indeed. And I think that honor's been lost. And it, and we love it when honor is directed our way, but we're so reticent to direct it other people's way. So if you start with honor in the home, honor in the family, it'll end up with honor in a culture. And so that's that's what we're going to talk about today. Oh, you mean on, on Sunday? Yes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's it's powerful. You know, this concept that we've we've become blind to it, but the idea of honoring your father and mother. And what happens when we start to decide if people are worthy of honor based on how our emotions are and how we feel about them? So we honor parents because they're perfect, or do we honor them because certain roles are worthy of honor? We're used to this in the idea of the presidency. If the president walks in, we don't sit there if we have any civility whatsoever. Right. We don't sit there. We stand for the office, even when we disagree with the man. And I think we're richer for it. And so I'd like to get back to this idea that I think Scripture teaches, that we we need to have honor for roles, and that people live up to the honor of a role more. People uh, become, I believe, what you challenge them to be. Our inclination is not always to do the right thing, and we we don't uh, obviously live up to all of our affirmations. But our affection for fathers and mothers, our affection for leadership, when we call the best out of our leaders, I think how much of what's going on with these politicians and the people that we're getting to run for office, how much of it comes from the idea that people don't want to run for office anymore because we have so much disdain for public officials? Which one comes first? I think if we say thank you for public service, if we if we go and we work harder at honoring great public servants, it'll attract a higher level 
of not only behavior, but of participation, to get the great people who, who right now I think are afraid to enter the arena because it's so toxic. I think we'll attract more people. I think we'll have better families and a better city when we practice the honor that uh, Scripture teaches. Well, you know, I look back at my parents' time and my grandparents' time. Uh, they used to use words like honor, code, loyalty as a backbone to their methodology. Mm-hmm. Now it seems you only use them as a punchline. Yeah. You know, well, and that's, that's got well to change. Said. You know, that's really got to change. Indeed. You know, ultimately, Vip, every weekend I come around to this idea that if it's going to change, it's going to have to change in me. My mother passed away uh, just over a year ago, mm-hmm. and she was quite. She was going in for a surgery, and it seemed rather uh, like a simple surgery, and she was kind of worried about it. And I, uh, I, my last interaction with my mother before she left this earth was me uh, sort of being, to be honest, disrespectful to her and saying, "Mother, you're worried about nothing." And my comments were terse, and I think it hurt her feelings. Mm-hmm. And then the surgery turned out to be quite something, and I never got a chance to speak to her again. And I was reflecting this week, oh, man, if I could have that moment back, Vip, if I could have that moment back and do it with more honor, I, I certainly would. So all I can do now is say, Dean, uh, before you give the sermon, make a commitment to being a better man tomorrow, because I have not lived my life honoring the people that I should have. I've withheld praise and been liberal with criticism. And that's got to change in me, and I hope it changes in the, the people that uh, are around me and in, in, in the city I live in and this country that I love. Well, you know, the best sermons are the ones where you deliver with sincerity. And if you're passionate about what you believe, it becomes so infectious. Everyone indeed. gets it. Yeah, indeed. Well, Pastor Dean, thank you so much for coming on the show. Let's oh, see what happens thing. next week. All right, man. And we will meet again next week. Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is it for today. Feel free to send in your comments to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the VIP Jazzwall Report or tweet me if you dare at VIP Jazzwall on Twitter. Thank you for listening and keep your ears open for the next airing of the VIP Jazzwall Report coming soon. Mm-hmm.